Every day, Israel lives with the threat and the reality of explosive devices. What can America learn from the very best of their trauma surgeons? You're listening to ReachMDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment focusing on disaster medicine. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me is Dr. Mauricio Lin, Director of the Trauma Resuscitation Unit, Ryder Trauma Center at Jackson Memorial Hospital in Miami. Ryder is a state-of-the-art trauma facility that was launched by the late Dr. Robert Zeppa in 1992. Dr. Lin has 18 years of military experience in the Medical Corps of the Israeli Defense Forces. He is currently a full-time faculty member in the Division of Trauma and Surgical Critical Care at the Miller School of Medicine. He is renowned internationally in the area of military and disaster medicine. He is widely respected by his colleagues, residents, and patients everywhere. Today we're discussing explosive devices and disaster preparedness at home in the USA. Welcome, Dr. Lin. Thanks for taking the time to be here. Thanks very much for having me. So you started your career with a surgical residency at Tel Aviv University in Israel. Tell us a little bit about what it was like to be a surgical resident back then. What year was it, and what was life in Israel like at that time? My residency actually started in 1986 after being in the military for my compulsory military service for about four years, three and a half years. And then I started my residency, and it was a conjoint program with the military, meaning that the military permits you to go to civilian hospital work as a doctor or as a whatever residency you decide to do. And together with the military, you do this residency program, meaning that you do two or three years of residency and then you go to a position in the military, you come back and you finish your residency and then you do another position in the military or you do for a fellowship, whatever career expects you to do. It's been a very exciting time because uh, it gives you the residents that are connected to the military service, to a military career, it's a very exciting career because it permits you to, uh, to work with civilians and with soldiers and be involved in uh, many exciting areas in the military. Now, Israel's dealt with this for many years, and that's where all your, your training and your early work was. What has America learned from what Israel has had to endure throughout the decades? What things have we learned from their experiences? Well, I think what America is learning now, and hopefully will continue to develop, is the standardization of response to disasters. Typically in America, in the hospitals, even the EMS systems, but the hospitals have separate or different approaches to the way they deal with disasters and mass casualties. The Israeli system is a more standardized system where Every hospital has their own protocol, which is basically made by the Ministry of Health together with the military, and it comes out as one protocol for all the hospitals, and that way there's a way to assist between hospitals in case a disaster happens, because everyone prepares basically very similarly. Now, is this uniform regardless, in theory, regardless what the disaster is, whether it's an explosive bombing or a natural disaster? Yes, because there is a different approach to the response if it's a biological disaster or flooding or explosive or an earthquake or chemical attack. And therefore, the response is a different response, and therefore, the way to deal 
with different responses, having different protocols and different plans of what the Israelis do. They have different plans for this, basically four major categories, which is biological, nuclear, chemical, and explosives and conventional. And there's less an approach of a one a plan for all, or what's called in America, all hazards approach. Uh, the all hazards approach it's problematic because people think that to respond to a hurricane when you have one week to prepare for the hurricane is the same as to respond right. to a bombing when the response is after it occurs. In a hurricane, the response is before it occurs, actually, if you think about it. Americans are very concerned over explosive attacks and on our soil. And really, why haven't we seen more? I guess it's a very good work by the intelligence community. If you're just joining us, you're listening to a special segment focusing on disaster medicine on Reach MDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, and I'm speaking with Dr. Mauricio Lin, director of the Trauma Resuscitation Unit at Jackson Memorial Hospital in Miami. Now, I understand Rider Trauma has an affiliation with the Army for training military medical personnel. Can you tell us a little bit about that? What are they seeing in an inner-city trauma center compared to what they'll see in a war zone? Basically, the U.S. military uh, sends their surgical teams before they deploy worldwide, uh, today mainly to Iraq and Afghanistan, but they send their surgical teams to trauma centers so they can actually work together as a team. The Air Force sends their surgical team to Baltimore, the Navy to Los Angeles, and the Army sends their surgical teams to uh, the Ryder Trauma Center. And uh, what they see, actually, it's uh, not very different from what they see in war. First of all, even in a war, there are many car accidents from military vehicles that can turn over or that can run somebody gets run by a military vehicle and be treated by a, a military physician. So basically there are similarities in the all kinds of epidemiological aspects of military injuries that include very similar injuries that they can see here at the trauma center. Obviously there's the penetrating injuries such as gunshot wounds and burns they see in the military and can also see in the trauma center. But the most important part is that these surgical teams, they work as one unit, as if they were working in the field in, in a war zone. So how do you go about training first responders who've never been in a war zone? Well, that's a very interesting and difficult question to answer. The first thing is to train soldiers and to train physicians to deal with injuries. First of all, it comes to the basic training where they can learn the basics of resuscitation and the basics of managing war type of injuries in a theoretical fashion, then uh, you have to try to give them the premier and important hands-on experience by seeing a patient or similar victims, as such as what the Army is doing here in Miami, and then to train them as a group, similarly to what they would do in the field. It's very important where each one of the trainees know what their function is and how they will help each other to take care of patients. Do you work with more than physicians? Do you work with the level of EMS and, of course, ER doctors as well, nurses, the whole team? The people that come from the Army that come to the trauma center, the surgery teams include also nurses and medics, surgeons, anesthesiologists, 
orthopedics. So there's a wide variety of people that come on their own specialties. And uh, also the EMS part, I work in the courses that I do with respect to organizations for uh, mass casualty preparedness. And what I can see is that the EMS, in a very professional way speaking, the EMS are very well trained to take care of patients, very well trained to take care of patients. What is missing, I think, and we should improve a little bit more, is the work together between the different cities and the different counties to be able to do a more coordinated approach if an event can happen in a place where one, two, or more counties will be involved. Now, I know you've got several areas of research interest. Can you tell us something about your work, perhaps with uncontrolled bleeding and trauma patients? Yeah, what we actually did some groundwork and basic science work at the, the University of Miami in our animal laboratory, trying to test the usefulness of injection of a hemostatic agent that was used previously and still being used, actually, in hemophilia patients to stop bleeding. And we used it also in pigs that shows that it can actually reduce the amount of blood loss. And this drug is actually being tested in trials to see if it also will work in humans. There was one trial already that was done worldwide and that showed that this drug can reduce blood transfusions in trauma patients. And the second trial that's being discussed as we speak, if it will continue or not, that's being also done in many countries in the world, including in the United States, to see if this drug will actually reduce uh, blood loss and maybe uh, save a few lives. Um, I have to say that this study may have finished now, but we'll know the results if it will continue or not and probably in the next few weeks. Was it trialed in the battlefield? No. It was trialed in trauma centers? In trauma centers. Have you also done research with soldiers in the battlefield for the military? Yeah, well, uh, it's very difficult to do research in the battlefield the way we know what research is. What we did, and it had an important impact, actually, uh, also for the U.S. military, we actually looked at the uh, outcome of tourniquets of uh, patients, soldiers and patients that got tourniquets uh, applied in the field or in terrorist events. We looked at this in about 110 tourniquets applications. We followed the patient to the hospitals and looked after the patient's outcome in the hospital for about a year. And we wanted to see if there was any problem to put tourniquets on. And we found that if you have a limited amount of time when you can put tourniquets on, meaning up to maybe two hours, which is very, very useful in the urban setting or even in the military. When you have a short transport time. Short transport time, actually the tourniquet may be effective in reducing blood loss and stopping hemorrhage and with very, very few negative effects on the patient's limb. So what would you want to say, now a lot of our audience is, is not maybe a specialist like yourself, but primary care providers, if they're listening to the show and they want to get more involved with disaster preparedness in their community, if you're not a surgeon or an emergency room doctor, can you too have a role? I think there's many roles that a community doctor or a community healthcare professional, doesn't have to be a, actually a doctor, 
that can have in disaster preparedness. And just to give an idea, the way antibiotics need to be distributed in a biological event to the population, large amount of antibiotics to a large amount of people, and maybe doctors or other healthcare professionals can help in distributing the antibiotics or helping prescribe antibiotics in their own clinics or if the city decides to have one large distribution center where these doctors can actually help. And that's, that can be a good place for them to participate. Thank you, Dr. Lin, for being my guest. We've been discussing explosive devices and disaster preparedness at home in the USA. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to a special series focusing on disaster medicine on ReachMDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. To comment or listen to our full library of podcasts, including this segment, visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening.